welcome in once again to another edition of Hatter Chatter, the podcast presented by Insight Credit Union. I am your host, Ricky Hazel, and I'm excited to be joined today by new men's soccer coach, Emmett Rakowski. Emmett will take us through his upbringing in rural northern Virginia, central Virginia, if you ask him, um, and how he wound up uh, becoming a soccer player and then into coaching as a soccer coach and and the challenges he now faces as the new soccer coach for men's soccer here at Stetson University. Uh, he took over as the head coach two weeks before uh, all activities were canceled in the spring and has uh, to manage building a program and recruiting and scheduling all remotely during his first few weeks in the position of head coach. So sit back and relax and, and join us as we uh, have a long conversation with Emmett Rakowski, the new men's soccer coach at Stetson University. Insight Credit Union is a proud partner of Stetson University Athletics. Insight has been bringing better banking to Central Florida for nearly 85 years. Insight Credit Union is your local go-to for lower rates on auto and other loans, credit cards, and more. Insight Credit Union and you, better together. So Emmett, welcome into Hatter Chatter, the podcast presented by Insight Credit Union. Glad to have you today. Great to be here, Ricky. How are you doing? I'm doing great. So let's talk about your your history, your your past. You grew up in Northern Virginia. Uh, it's a very small town, from what I can tell. Uh, tell me a little bit a little bit about your upbringing. Yeah, it, it's funny you said that, um, Northern Virginia, because. Uh, we, we consider it central Virginia just because uh, it's definitely, although it look, it's definitely Northern Virginia, uh, probably geographically, but it's funny how much that state sometimes separates a little bit. Uh, but it's about 40 miles from any interstate. So I've been listening to a couple of the other head coaches and uh, that theme seems to be hitting a little bit of coming from a small town. So uh, it was, it's, it was a really neat place to grow up. Um, absolutely loved it. But it's funny when I look back on it from the path from Culpeper, Virginia, and then just moving my way up um, now here into land, you know, how fortunate and grateful I am to be here at Stetson, but also some of the similarities of being in a small town, especially a college town. I, I'm really enjoying it so far. I mean, Culpeper is a, certainly a small town. I looked up the uh, population was less than 10,000 in 2000 when you were finishing up, uh, you know, in, in high school, I guess, days. And then it's, it's kind of doubled in size in the last uh, 10 years. Is that because DC has grown to it or, or, or what's the, what's been the spark for the growth? It, it's funny. It's really changed. You know, uh, uh, when I grew up, we didn't have like a, a chain restaurant really. Like I remember Ruby Tuesdays came into town. It was pretty big deal or, and, <laughs> and uh and so it's really changed from more of a probably agricultural small farm town uh where you know when you grow up in the south uh especially if it's a uh you're at a place where the town is the same name as the county that's when you right. know you're in a pretty rural area so right. um and then your high school's name is Culpeper County High School. So it was funny because you grow up and I have a lot of friends where you've known since you were three, four years old and you've gone to school with them and you went to the same middle school, same high school, you graduated with them. So uh, there, there's a lot of really 
intimate relationships you have with people. And then on top of that, when you grow up in a small town, I think what's uh, really cool is I had, I grew up in a family of uh, six total. So I'm the youngest of four. And so my, my sister, my brother might have friends where their siblings I'm friends with, you know, and that, and and so I I think it's really neat. You know, you grow up in an era where uh, I played multiple different sports and, uh, Although the high school was only one high school, we uh, we competed with all the biggest high schools in the state of Virginia. So you had a lot of pride in it, even if someone was about 30 miles away from you, they were still going to the same high school. So, you know, it, it was definitely really interesting. And, um, you know, I, I really enjoyed it looking back on it. So um, it was really cool. So how much of the history of that area do people in that town embrace and understand? I mean, I'm just looking it up. Culpepper was originally surveyed and laid out by George Washington. Yeah. I mean, it's, I mean, it's history is at the very root of this country. It It's so funny you bring it up because I lived in a house. I grew up in a house that was built in the 1860s and seventies, and then it was uh, renovated. So when you grow up in uh, cent- that central Northern Virginia area, you're near about, uh, I believe we're in about 30 mile radius of like seven battlefields. So you, you get a lot of people who come by and they're like, oh, can we, can we come metal detect in your yard or stuff <laughs> like that? So, so, you know, and then in Williamsburg, uh, it's the same thing down in uh, Virginia beach area. So Virginia has a lot of history. Uh, and so I grew up with it and it's, it's really funny because that's a, that's a big hobby of mine, um, as well. And, uh, certainly, very different than growing up maybe in some other states that are much, much newer with their history. So, um, I, I thought it was, it was just funny being in school when you're, when you're learning about it and a lot of it's happening right there in Virginia. Right. So, right. You don't have to go far for field trips to find those things. Exactly. Exactly. So, so, cause there was, you know, not only the, the revolutionary war, but I'm, I don't know for a fact, but I'm sure the War of 1812, but and especially the Civil War. Yeah, yeah, definitely. Uh, all three of them uh, really that it, it encompasses that whole county, um, and and as well, you're just near. I think it's eight presidents. Hopefully, a professor could correct me on that one. But we have eight presidents uh, from Virginia, and a lot of them are right in that area. So uh, it made it easy, like you said earlier about field trips when I was in elementary school. So, sure. you know, we, so we, had, we had some, you, cool you mentioned growing up playing different sports. What sports did you play and what drew you to soccer, especially? Sure. I, I played soccer at a really young age and then I was playing basketball, baseball, football. Uh, as I got older, it was really uh, baseball, soccer, basketball. And then in high school, I played basketball and soccer. And then there's a point where when you grow up in a rural area, especially if you're a soccer player, you have to travel pretty far. So uh, by the time I was in high school, I had to make the decision to only play soccer. And uh, I was traveling to Charlottesville, where uh, the University of Virginia is. uh, And they have an excellent, we had one of the best club teams in the state at that time. And uh, the club teams are, you know, similar to a travel team or AAU. That's what we say in, uh, in soccer. And so I was commuting there every day after you know, high school, I was driving up there. It's about a 50, 50, uh, 50 minutes, hour commute to and from. And so you really have to make a commitment. And, um, you know, I really enjoyed it because it made me a much better player and more ready to play in college, uh, where I played at University of Mary Washington in Fredericksburg. And 
I felt really ready because you're able then to balance your studies, playing a sport when you're doing all that traveling, because you got to be really efficient with your time. But um, it, it was a, it was a really good experience because it was the first time being a kid from a small town where you start playing with other players who really could be you know better than you, and right. and you, you got to have that competitive drive to really say, hey, I'm, I'm gonna I'm gonna step up my game here. I'm gonna you know bring bring my game to another level. And, and compete and that and that's what sports are about and um you know i really enjoyed that aspect of it so who were some of your role models growing up in small town america <laughs> that is good i soccer wise it was uh you know i i really liked tim howard who's a goalkeeper in the u.s i, I was a goalkeeper growing up so at, believe it or not at the time with u.s soccer there was about four goalkeepers in the english premier league uh and we, we did a really good job of producing goalkeepers. So you had good role models where right now U.S. soccer is in a really big transition phase and there's not as many U.S. keepers playing at that high level. Right. Um, one of the biggest aspects of it was I think that made U.S. keepers very good was that they all played a lot of, a lot of different sports. Right. So at a goalkeeper position, you have to be athletic. You have to have – different movements than maybe some of the other positions. Uh, and so for me, it was Tim Howard. I, I really liked a lot. I was always a really big fan of uh, Landon Donovan in the U S for me also, you, you always have to hike an international player. And I was a really big Michael Owen and Steven Gerrard fan growing up. So it, it, it was, it was really neat. Uh, I think we sometimes forget that in 2002, the U S went to the quarterfinals in the World Cup. So right. I feel part of that generation where the, the U.S. did not qualify for the World Cup this last time around. And in 2002, we were one of the – we did really well. And so the generation had a really clear identity in, in U.S. soccer, and it was, it was neat to see them and get behind them, where right now I think we're trying to figure out our identity again and as a, as a country in terms of our, our, our soccer program. So it, it, was a, it was a really good time to grow up and be that first generation where I remember watching the 94 World Cup um, that was here in the United States, but I was, I was really young, but I, right. do, I remember it. And I, and I think that's that first generation that soccer really became big in the United States. So now, There's another big goalkeeper from – Virginia that maybe you've had a chance to cross paths with at Stetson, Tony Miola, whose son played on the baseball team. I know. I know. He's great. And, and the reason I really uh, I really enjoyed watching him is I, I was always really undersized as a goalkeeper uh, in the recruiting process. So for me, to, Tony Miola wasn't that big of a keeper, and he was the best goalkeeper really growing up uh, for – in that early nineties period into the late nineties. And so obviously the Stetson sort of connection there, it's, it's great. Uh, so for me, it was really cool as I met him personally, uh, I believe it was last year. So for me, that was really cool to meet him. Geico offers a special discount on car insurance to Stetson alumni. Just visit Geico.com to get a free quote and select Stetson alum to see how much you can save. Don't drop the ball when it comes to saving money. Contact Geico today. So did you, did you talk shop, talk soccer? Or? Oh, we did. We did. It was, re it was really good. We talked soccer. And um, 
for me, it's more a little bit awestruck to be like, wow, I'm talking to Tony Miola, <laughs> you know, when his, <laughs> when his son plays here, um, Stetson baseball team. So, uh, but his, his, the history of that position, he was one of the first guys that really got the U.S. started with having excellent keepers, not just in the U.S., but internationally as well. So you mentioned going to um, College of Mary Washington. How did you choose Mary Washington? Obviously, another tie to George Washington that's named after his mother. But how did you choose that school and, and what led you to, to going to college there? It's really interesting in, in Virginia. Uh, the, there's a lot of state schools that are, that are really good. And I, I actually was looking at a few different ones. And in Virginia, there's only Division One and Division Three. And so there are some division one schools I've been looking at and I'm pretty, again, I'm pretty undersized as a goalkeeper. So they weren't really giving me a chance to play right away. Right. Uh, Mary Washington was the top 10, top 15 division three program. And, you know, I had the ability to compete right away. And that was something that was really important to me. Uh, and so I chose to go to Mary Washington pretty late in the recruiting process and it was, you know, one of the best decisions I ever made for what I wanted personally and really enjoyed it there. The facilities are really nice. The, the competition, they're in a really good conference. And so I, I was able to also play on a summer league team and PDL, which is similar to what our, I know our men's soccer players do here at Stetson and baseball as well as they play on the right. really competitive summer league teams. So it, it, it was, I look back on it and it's been a, it's been a really neat experience as I believe there's 10 to 12 guys that I played with that are coaching now wow. too. So it's a, it's a really cool network as well. And, um, you know, I'm grateful to, to be a part of that. So now you played four years, played 52 games, started 52 games, <laughs> allowed 56 total goals and your team went 45, 23 and four during your career. That's not bad. <laughs> I know. Could be a little bit better. Uh, I look at it, you know, being a keeper, I played some my freshman year. And when I coach our goalkeepers here and talk to them, one thing about goalkeeping is it's a lot different than the other positions. You need a lot of maturity. You need to see the field. You're almost another coach on the field. Sure. And what you see in the, in the division one level is a lot of goalkeepers redshirt that first year. And I probably would have benefited a lot from it too, but um, you know I, I'm a big fan of that with goal, with goalkeepers, especially because as a professional, they usually don't hit their prime till they're about 30. Right. Where a lot of other positions are, you know, their early 20s, mid 20s. So, uh, you know, I, I think when I look back on it, you really my path it was getting better every year. So, um, which which is good, but you sometimes think back and be like, oh, I would have loved to have that fifth year. So. <laughs> Well, you played for a pretty legendary coach there and uh, Roy Gordon. And do you think that contributed to the fact that so many of your teammates are coaching? Definitely. He had – I've learned so much from, from Roy. He was also the president of our national coaching body, uh, which used to be called the NSCAA. Now it's the USC. And uh, Roy's really one of the guys who did an excellent job of – bringing our class together. I think he was so good with culture and knowing how to run a program where for me, naturally he, he, 
he was able to kind of show you how he ran a successful program, but also give you new ideas and be really innovative with how he was coaching. Uh, and, and also when you coach over a few generations and we don't have this a lot in us soccer, he was able to adapt. And so that's something I really took from him is how he adapted taking a team to the final four in the late nineties to then coaching my group. That was probably a lot different personality wise. And I I think that's something that's just so underrated uh, about him because he was successful over different generations. And, uh, you know, we, we, we talk about that sometimes as we stay in a lot of contact, he's actually, we're doing a zoom meeting with this group from Mary Washington. He's actually our special guest this, uh, this Friday coming up. (laughs) So, so we, we stay really connected. So do you, do you find yourself when you're out on the field coaching, saying something to your team and think, man, that was coach Gordon. (laughs) It is. He, he has, I think there there's the things you can take away from coach Gordon were just how he managed his team was, was really good. The culture aspect of it and developing you in a really holistic approach, which I think today sometimes can be left behind because it's such a go-go attitude about um, how do we win this game or how do we fix this in, in the short term. And Roy Gordon was really patient and developing his culture, making sure he found the right players. And it, it's something I can really take away from him. And so for me, that foundation and when I was at Mary Washington was I started coaching right away. We had an assistant who is uh, at Mary Washington that was a, one of the most successful high school coaches in the state of Virginia as well. So I, I had a lot of early on just great people advising me, giving me good insight to the game and get me involved in coaching that I'm, I'm just so grateful for because it really helped me know exactly what I wanted to do and how I wanted to coach. So when was it you realized you wanted to become a coach? Really funny. I, I had a really good internship I, my freshman summer at a, a really renowned corporation. I was a business undergrad and I was in the office every day and, and most people would have killed to have that internship. They just would have been like, oh, that, that's, that's unbelievable. Well, I look back on it and I was just like, I, I just don't know if this office is, is for me. And <laughs> I, I really enjoyed the next couple summers working camps, getting to know different coaches, sort of networking. I was working on my licensing really early on, which is pretty big in soccer. I think going into my senior year, myself and two other current players on the team, we were all taking our, our C license uh, before we were reporting to preseason. So it, it, that would not have happened unless I had really good guidance from right. some, some coaches. And I'm just, again, so thankful for that because I, right away I was pointed in the right direction. And I, I look at that as being a little bit lucky, but also, again, just really happy that I was able to meet those people. You mentioned you went right into coaching out of college. You went to Frostburg State in Virginia. What was that first experience like? <laughs> yeah, yeah. Frostburg State is uh, it's so it's a part of Western Maryland. That's uh, probably like a little bit of an ex coal mining community, and um, it is you know it gets really cold. The name does not fool you. I mean, it was for me. It was it was only about three and a half hours from my hometown, but you're straight up in the mountains. Right. Um, but I had a, I worked for a really good coach there. He's, he's really successful, Keith Burns and, uh, really enjoyed my time there as they, believe it or not, as I started coaching there, they came into the conference that university of Mary Washington was in. So, 
uh, it was just a pretty easy transition for me uh, those two years. And then from Frostburg State, uh, I was lucky enough to to get an opportunity to be the goalkeeper coach at Dartmouth College. And that was when I really broke into the Division One coaching landscape. And uh, I'll tell you what, I felt like I was getting my PhD in coaching up there because Jeff Cook was the head coach. Um, Chad Riley was the assistant. Chase Wildman was the other assistant and I was the goalkeeper coach. Well, Jeff's now the head coach at Penn State. Chad's the head coach at Notre Dame and Chase is the associate head at, at, at Kentucky. So wow. for me, that was that was a turning point in my coaching career because I have so many booklets. I was just writing so much stuff down and trying to absorb as much as I could because uh, I was so fortunate to just be there every day and learn from those guys. Um, and that, that was really neat for me to see how a, a successful Division One program was really run. So you go from Frostburg to – do you go straight from there to Shreveport or do you go to Dartmouth first? To Dartmouth first. I was, I was, I was there for a year and um, really enjoyed it. And then I actually got uh, – I went down to Mercer – uh, it was before they had a full-time position and uh, I was in Macon, Georgia and um, part of the, the, the Mercer men's soccer program. And it was excellent. Coach Russo runs a really good program there. And so for me, I took that position because I was able to recruit student. You know, I could recruit there and be a number two, even though there wasn't a full-time position there. And so that was really important to me to learn the division one recruiting sure. And uh, really thankful for that opportunity because we actually brought in a class that was part of the most successful four-year run of Mercer's history. So uh, with the Mac Herman Trophy semifinalist in there um, and just a really good, I would say, basis and foundation to now a program that's been to the NCAAs three of the last four years. Uh, so so it, it was a really good experience. And then I, I, while I was there, I got the, the head, head coaching position at Centenary College uh, in Shreveport, like you were right. saying. So. <laughs> and you were also coaching with a pro team in Shreveport. So you were double duty there. It was. It, 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 was, it was a lot. But what I tell a lot of young coaches, too, it was, it was neat because I look back on it and I was coaching our, the, the college team at Centenary. I was coaching the, the semi-professional team in Shreveport. And then I also had a club team. So I was running like 21 training sessions a week. So for me, it was great because I could just, I could test things that were working. I could make, you know, changes on things that I thought weren't quite the right thing to be working on in training that week or that day. And it was also a different level of players. So it was high school, it was college, and it was guys that were in their mid-20s still trying to find a professional contract. Um, so, you, you know, you really had to adapt to how you coached all three of those age groups to be honest with you. Um, so what was it attracted you to come to Stetson as an assistant? I, I was familiar with it when I was at Mercer. And what I loved about Stetson so much is – if you look at all the schools that I've coached at other than Centenary, it's around that 3,500 to 4,500 undergrad student. Want to stay up to date on all things happening in Hatter Nation? Follow us on our Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram accounts at Stetson Hatters, your destination for in-game stats, student-athlete features, game promotions, and more. Follow at Stetson Hatters today.
you get the Stetson as yeah. an assistant coach and, and, and two years, the last two years of obviously, you know, and, and Stetson's history for soccer has been a little up and down the last few years. I mean, <laughs> yeah. it has been, uh, what, five head coaches now in seven seasons since Logan uh, Flake yeah. passed away. It's been un- unbelievable. You're, you're exactly right. It's, uh, it's been, it's been an interesting path. I don't know how many college programs uh, have gone through that at any level in any athletic program. So, you know, I think for me, I look at it as a great opportunity to bring stability to the program Um, at a school that we really pride ourselves on here having that family environment. uh, I think it's one of the, one of those aspects that makes Stetson a great place. You know, when you're walking on campus, you see a lot of the same people um, and then you're always meeting new people, but it's not, we're not at a school where you're taking a large bus to go to a class or you're, you're, right. you're traveling across campus and you see a lot of people you don't know. And I think that, that that's a really neat thing and separates ourselves from a lot of our competition because you build those intimate relationships with coworkers, with your student athletes that really make you build that culture really strong. And so I feel we have everything in place to be extremely competitive just because we're also in the state of Florida. And, you know, although we've had a lot of head coaches, I mean, I think it's, I've been to places that are really cold or it'd be a tough place to sell. And, you know, we're one of the best academic schools in the Southeast. We're 25 minutes from the beach and we're 40 minutes from Orlando. Uh, When we say that to a lot of prospective student athletes, it, there's a lot of people who want to come here. Yeah, man, I'm sure so, their eyes perk know, up I, and their ears perk up when you tell them that. <laughs> I know. it's, And so for me, I think uh, we pride ourselves on saying, hey, we, we want to get the best of the best. And that's how we want to build the program. And I'm fortunate enough to, to at least be here when we've recruited this, this whole team. Right. There's one player that's returning to our team that I did not – be that I was not in the process of either recruiting and that's uh he, he's one of our captains so I'm really fortunate to have Kamani here on our team because you know he epitomizes everything in our that we look for in a captain and a student athlete and a person and so for me it's easy to to be the head coach of a program when you have captains that are empowered to lead and in, in uh and how we want to lead this group. So I'm really looking forward to it because I think the recruiting will only get better and better. And one of the big things um, I, I think is really important is we're getting some of the best Florida players really interested in coming to Stetson. And then we're also getting players from the whole Southeast and internationally. And when we get those three things aligned together, we're going to have a good, a good, prog- a good program over the long term. So it's February when when the transition happens here. Um, I'm sure you were caught off guard like a lot of us were when that happened. And then you get named a head coach on February 26th, and that happened in your locker room with a phone call. And I'm sure you knew what they were what was going to be said. But what was the emotion like in that locker room when the team was told you were going to be the head coach? It. It was a feeling you, you really can't describe because I think the the emotion was just it was real. I was so relieved, 
but also just so appreciative because um, and so thankful that Stetson really considered me a good candidate to run the program. There's been a lot of transition, and um, I, I, I think the group and the, the saw what we were doing, our current group, and you know they were really supportive as well. And so for me, it was that that it was some really neat emotion that's really tough to describe because it was just so raw. Yeah. Uh, because that, that's something I've always wanted to be as a head division one coach and, um, timing's really everything. And, um, you know, I, I think the, the players were just really supportive the whole time and, um, you know, the staff as well. And, you know, again, I'm just really thankful for that opportunity, especially when, uh, I was, we were doing everything about normal for about a week or two. And then the whole, you know, pandemic issue arose. So when I talk to other coaches on the phone, the first thing they always say is, Hey, how's your first season, you know, uh, as a head coach and and you're going through the the, the pandemic. And I said, yeah, that's, I don't know how to respond to that. (laughs) You know, it's difficult. I just remember seeing the video from the announcement and and just the, the raw intensity and emotion that, just exploded in the room when uh, Alicia made that announcement. Yeah, it, it really, it really was. I mean, I think uh, too, we had guys that were graduating, so they were technically finishing up that spring and they, they came over and uh, there were a lot of support from them and, and recent alum alumni. And that's something that we're trying to do. And I thought we did a good job when I was an assistant is trying to say, Hey, like, how, how do we get alumni back in and involved in the program? How do we get the community back involved in the program? And there's no easy answer to that, but, it, and it takes time, but we have some really good student athletes in our program. And I, I'm again, just thankful for, you know, their support, but also looking forward to say, all right, we need to now take the next step now that there's some stability and we have this foundation, um, what's our next step as a program and how are we going to implement it? And then how are we going to execute it? Right. And so the next couple of weeks were uh, before COVID hit were really intense because we have a really young group. So to me, there's a lot of times where we were taking steps forward from that meeting. Uh, and then we were taking a step backward, then steps forward. So it was really, really positive for me to, to see the growth of the group in the spring because there are a lot of emotions going through a, a young group when the whole situation, you know, transpired. And as you said, two weeks after you get the job, all of a sudden now you don't have access to your kids anymore. You can't, you know, there's no spring workouts. There's, how are you, I mean, obviously you were part of building the culture that exists. How are you managing the culture and managing, you know, dealing with being a head coach at this level for the first time without having access to your team? <laughs> Yeah, it's, it's, it's tough, isn't it? I, uh, I took the approach we met as a leadership group and I asked them what they thought was a really good way to communicate with the team. And I think a lot of, especially a lot of the young student athletes, they, as, as all of us, we didn't really get a good grasp of everything going on with the pandemic and how to react to it. Uh, and there's obviously a lot of stress when you're a student athlete where you have your classes you need to worry about, you have soccer you have to worry about. And then on top of it, you have a pandemic um, happening. And so 
what we really did is I was speaking to a lot of guys that first week or two individually and just giving them a phone call. Because what I noticed as soon as we did one Zoom call, it was really pretty awkward at first. Sure. But um, I noticed that when we talked to our group, there weren't as much dialogue or questions. So I wanted to say, well, you know, I thought it was good, but we got, we got to do a better job of really getting a feel how, how each individual student athlete in our program's feeling. And so we kind of, at first went more with talking to guys individually. And then after a two or three weeks, we started doing more team zoom calls. And then we started this, what we're doing now is breakout rooms, as I'm sure many programs are doing, which is kind of cool. And we're really working on a culture that we all want to create. One of the big projects we're working on is in our locker room, we don't show our, our history and tradition as well as I want to. And we're going to put our career leaders, our individual leaders, um, season records. We're going to put our NCAA tournament appearances. We want to put, we want to get our current student athletes to see what some of the past Stetson players did and what some of the past Stetson teams did and and be really proud of it. And I think that creates a culture of, of guys seeing like, Oh, I know that name or, Oh, I met that guy at an alumni event. And they they say, you know what? I really want to, I want to go out there and get the single season awards for goals this season or assists. And that's something we're actually really working on as a team. And I think it brings our whole network together you know, as a men's soccer program. So, uh, I, I think the group was really behind it. And then, um, we're, we're doing a a few other culture building activities, such as we're listening to a podcast as a team together and talking about it. And it's so far going really well. And it's about as natural as it can for zoom, I feel like, but, uh, as we all know, with zoom, it's, it, we're all still learning. So, (laughs) so Want to cheer on the Hatters at their next away game? Maybe you're visiting family or just looking for a fun getaway. Whatever the reason for your next takeoff, make sure you fly the official airport of Stetson Athletics, Orlando Sanford International Airport. With over 75 nonstop destinations, let SFB get you to your next adventure. Visit flysfb.com for more information. So I guess the, the other challenge during this time, not only in building culture, but is making sure the guys are in the physical conditioning they need and also working on their skills. Cause you know, obviously you got to have a lot of cardiovascular endurance and, and, but you've got, you know, you got to have ball skills as well. So how do they, how are they working on those avenues? Yeah, it, it's a really good question because we do have some players from the, the Northeast area that weren't really able to do go outside right. <laughs> too much. And here in Florida, they are. So we've, we, we started, you know, when I was speaking with some players from up north, I said, well, let me know what you can do and let's try to do something together with our strength and conditioning program and find a, a, a just a common median of what you're comfortable doing uh, with our summer conditioning. Because in our sport, many of our players play on extremely high level summer league teams. Sure. With those being canceled, it creates the strength and conditioning program to be to be really important. So we can really thank our coach, coach Al, uh, for putting together a really good program, you know, for our guys. And so I I think right now, a lot of the players are doing actually a better job than in past seasons of following it 
really in a detail-oriented way because they're not playing as much. Uh-huh. Um, and so for me, it's actually been I'm, a, I'm learning some on the go with it because generally it's in past summers, you're following players and their, and their success with their summer league teams. And you're able to talk to them this summer. It's just going to be a lot different. It's going to be, you know, what, what day are we really going to start preseason? What day is really going to be our first match? And that has a lot to do with our, you know, periodization of how guys are conditioning themselves this summer. We don't want to hit our peak on June 1st for our conditioning. We want to hit our peak as we go into the season. And so these are all just new variables that we've never dealt with. So you know, I think our group's doing a really good job with it. And um, those are just, I believe those are things that you have to have that open line of communication with the players and the staff. And the more open you can be with communication, the better off guys are going to come back fit and acclimated to performing at a high level. So how much of their work has been, obviously a ton on conditioning, but how much of it is on, you know, drills with the ball and, and foot skills and those kind of things. And then for, for keepers, I mean, it's not really ball skills. It's going to be reflexes as much as anything. So how do you work on those things? It, exactly. I think one of the big, uh, something that we really worked on is especially with some of our international players was they, some of them actually stayed here when everything sure. happened. So we, we have a group that's actually here this summer. Uh, we have some that have, you know, found jobs and, um, and so some of them are working out, um, you know, in the area if, they, if they're allowed to. And um, as, as Florida's rules get a ease somewhat, they're able to play in a, in a small group. So they're able to play some pickup. They're able to do conditioning together. And, and right now, that's, that's basically the best thing they can do. Um, yeah. Some of them are doing some functional work, such as, you know, if we have a, a striker and a goalkeeper here, they're able to go out and take balls and, you know, shoot on, shoot on a keeper. They can do some individual skill activities that, you know, myself is like, Hey, we should try doing this. This is something you can work on. It's a perfect time to work on your off foot. If you're right footed, let's work on your left foot, striking the ball, changing the point of attack. And um, so to me, it's a great time. And what I've told our team is to work on these functional habits that you don't have to worry about, playing 5v5 or obviously 11v11 at this point you can worry about individual things to make yourself better and then as the summer progresses and hopefully we progress as well through the pandemic guys are able to play you know a match um it's really interesting because we have players from all over so in sweden uh they're playing and going after it pretty uh, full full strength at this point where, you know, in some countries it's, you cannot go outside. So um, that's something that's been really interesting too, because they're just a little bit further along on what they're able to do than some of our players that are at home and really only able to stay inside or maybe do some conditioning on a treadmill or something like that. So for you as a former goalkeeper, how does, the skills you developed as a player translate into coaching, not just keepers, but the entire team now. Sure. It's really funny. I think when you look at a lot of coaches in soccer, you see a lot of them were former goalkeepers. And I think the reason why sometimes is uh, not because we're, 
we're probably that good with our feet. Um, that's something that was always a weakness on, on, on my end in, in growing up, but you're, you see the game really well when you're a goalkeeper, you have to communicate in short, concise statements that are a positive influence on the team as well. So team, a team doesn't want to play behind a keeper that has a running dialogue the whole game. And for me, the goalkeeper position is pretty easy for me to coach, but sure. I think coaching actually the, the other positions, it's, it's even more natural, believe it or not, because as a keeper, what might've been easy for me. Um, and then you have to show a, a current goalkeeper what you want to do. Sometimes it just becomes natural for me, to be honest with you. But with the field players, uh, as a goalkeeper, you're giving constant instruction as a goalkeeper. So it, it's really easy to explain to field players what you want them to do because what I always compare soccer to is it, it's like a game of chess. You have to be extremely patient and you can't make mistakes. If you make a bad mistake, then, then, then you're done. Right. Um, and, 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 and soccer to me is a, is, is a lot like chess where you have to have that fluidity, fluidity and it has to be a smooth game and everyone has to be on the same page but because it's such a fluid game. So what we do in training, you have to empower the players to then to make these decisions in the game because we can't take a timeout like in other sports. We can't stop the game. So all your preparation has to be really well-defined and it has to be communicated well to the group or else when you go into a match, you're going to be really behind if guys are asking questions on the sidelines which makes our sport really unique. Um, but we, you know, myself as a coach, I, we have to self-evaluate and say, Hey, how do we do a better job of making sure the team's on the same page as what we're trying to teach? You know? So last year's team was eight, 10 and two. The, I guess the biggest issue probably was just scoring goals. Got shut out seven times, but the uh, team was six and four in one goal game. So that means they weren't giving up many goals either. Yeah. Yeah. It, you hit it spot on in the, in the recruiting. We've really put a lot of emphasis on the attack. Um, I, we, we need to score more goals. You, you got to score goals to win games. That's right. So, so you know, I think that's going to be a big change for us in this upcoming season is, if anything, we have a lot of options of guys that can come in and make an impact to put us in a positive position to – have goal scoring opportunities. And at the end of the day, you, you, you need to, you need to make sure you do a good job of scoring those goals and those chances when you have those opportunities. But last year I thought one of our weaknesses was just even getting ourselves in position with those goal scoring opportunities. And so for us, that's something we really worked on this spring with a lot of our young attacker attackers was how do we get ourselves in position and then how do we execute these, these opportunities so that when you execute and you, when you have a lead in soccer, the game really changes. And so that's, that's really important to score a goal. And then it's really important to, to how you adapt when you have that lead, because you have to adapt to the, the current state of that current game as well. And that really changes on the style of play that you're going to have in that game. So you had seven seniors on the team last year, but only three of those seven were regular starter guys, and obviously they're, they're big losses in Gabrielle and and Chris and uh, Finn. But uh, you've got a lot of talent coming back. Yeah, it, it, exactly. There, there's 
it's also not just talent. I think for the first time that Stetson's probably seen since um, probably the 2014 or 13 season is we have a, a consistent, a pretty consistent group coming back that has been in the program for two years now, uh, which, which I think it's a really underrated aspect of running a program because they already know the expectations. They know the standards. They've already played in, in high-level college games. We've had guys that have played in the ASUN Conference Championship. You know, we, we've had players that have played against the top five team in the country and, you know, took them to overtime. Uh-huh. Um, and so they've been in some, in some really good moments already. Now, the next step is, is, is moving forward from those moments, I think. Right. And that's what we as a program have to do a really good job this next season and then the season after is how do we win the conference? How do we go to the NCAAs for the first time since 2009? Um, how do we manage these moments of when you have a lead late in the game and being calm and being having that composure? Because over the last two years, that was something that was a weakness. We, we, we had given up some, some really good leads late in games against some very good opponents. And so that's something that we've actually worked on a lot in the spring right before COVID hit is just having some, some sort of sim, game-like sim, simulations that, um, that if we're up one goal with five minutes left, how do we play that out, for example? Right. And, and, and I think I, I saw a lot of progress from the current group, uh, just especially being how young they were. And uh, it, when we played UNF this spring, uh, we were fortunate to have a lot of our, our spring season. And the group, it was a really neat moment for me because we, we had a, we actually had a red card in the game that was much deserved on our end. And, um, and it was a really good learning experience for that player on our team. But we went down a man 20 minutes into the game wow. and in, in soccer, as you know, like you said, there's just so much running that it's really tough to compete no matter how much better or worse than you are that as an opponent, that opponent you're playing. And, we really competed well. We actually went down and um, on a breakaway, and we had a player miss the breakaway, and then UNF counters and scores a really nice goal. So we go down one nothing, and um, we we battled back, and that player was taken out of the game. And I, you know, for me, it was more like, hey, you're gonna have another chance. We just gotta keep going, keep moving forward. He goes back in the game and creates this goal scoring opportunity. And we tie the match with seven, eight minutes left in the game. Uh, the team's doing a really good job. We actually start pressing UNF and had two or three really good opportunities to win the game. And uh, we ended up having a draw, which I know for a lot of Americans, it's like, who, who has a draw, right? <laughs> you know, how do you have a draw? But uh, when you play a man down for 70 minutes, the locker room after that game was the biggest takeaway for me because you could see the group was just so, again, had a lot of raw emotion and they could see things were moving in the right direction because they, they were proud. They were not proud of the draw, but they were, pr- they were really proud of our grit and our mental toughness to come back from that adversity in the beginning of the game. 
Show your Stetson spirit and get your green on with officially licensed tees, sweats, hoodies, and more. Go to www.shopgohatters.com. All your Hatters gear is just a click away. Visit www.shopgohatters.com today. Defensively, you've got a couple of standouts back. Ian McCauley was the uh, A-Sun Defensive Player of the Year. And- yeah, yeah, yeah. So it's uh, definitely really good. I mean, Ian, I think, will probably go down as so far one of the best players that's come into Stetson history. I mean, he's been – he's been his, his resume is unbelievable of what he's done here. And so especially coming back from the injury he had. So that, that, that'll be a really tough one to replace. Uh, I also think we have, we have a really good young center back in, in Callum that will be uh, Callum Ferguson that I, I really see him as a leader uh, in the back line and Kamani will be a, a senior captain and we, we had another freshman really step up uh, in the spring and, and that redshirted. So for me, I think that we're going to be in a really good position in the back line where although even some players redshirted, they're ready now for the opportunity because there's just so much maturing in that first fall and in that coming back into the spring. And for me, it was good to see those guys really take steps, positive steps forward. And that was one of the biggest takeaways from the spring. How was your recruiting impacted by the pandemic and the closing? I mean, how much of it had you had the recruiting been done before and how much of it have you had to do virtually? Yeah, it was, I was pretty worried at first. And I think when you have something like a, like a pandemic first time ever, this has happened for us, I had, we had to really try to innovate how we recruit. So we did what I really tried to work on was being better at looking at video and doing a better job of talking to different contacts and say, Hey, can we get this match? Or, Hey, can we get, um, you know, a couple different matches that you can send to me so we can really watch more video. And I think it opened up better doors because usually for recruiting, because usually you're, you're traveling so much and watching guys live and soccer is a, is a sport where it's important where when, you know, what I think a good player is might be different than another coach just because of the system of play. Sure. And so, um, although video can be sometimes difficult with that, it's a great avenue for us to try to get better. Um, and I think especially at a school like Stetson, where we have a lot of international players, it's important that we do a good job of evaluating everything, their personality, their video, um, talk to contacts that we have that know that player personally to make sure it's the right fit here because we want someone that's going to come here for four years. So I, I thought it was definitely difficult, but at the end of the day, you have to adapt. And I thought it, it was a good, we did a pretty good job of it, but um, we were also able to get, I would say, forward in our 2021 recruiting because we've, we're still recruiting 2020s, sure. <laughs> you know, and um, that's just the nature of our sport that it can be sometimes a little bit later. So I feel like I'm adapting almost every week, but you, you know, you just got to be open to it. And, and I think we're, we're doing a better job. So. Well, you mentioned you had some guys that redshirted last year that you expect to make contributions. Who are some of those guys? So I think uh, one of the, 
the two freshmen at Ajmer played a, a decent bit for us last fall. So he, he didn't redshirt, but I, I really expect him. He had a really good spring for us. And then uh, Dan Wintermeyer, he um, was a center back that, you know, the fall probably didn't go his way. But what I liked about it was he didn't shy away from it. He put his head down, had a really good winter and came in the spring with the, with a good mentality. And for me, it's so important because then you start creating a culture where Dan can then talk to the new freshman this year that might go through that same experience. And I think that's really important for a team where if you have that, I think especially peers are going to get that information. It's going to be much better communicated than sometimes me just keep harping on it with younger guys. So I, I look at Dan as a guy that's really going to come in to compete as well. And then uh, Owen Jack is a goalkeeper that had an excellent uh, true freshman spring for us. He actually redshirted this past year. And, um, you know, he'll be competing to start as, a, as our goalkeeper next year. And I'm really looking forward to what he does with it because he's really matured as a player and he's really motivated. So I, I, I'm looking forward to seeing how he and Tim and really compete for that position and, and another goalkeeper that we're bringing in. And I, I, I'm a firm believer of when you have a lot of competition, it just makes everybody better. Yeah. So we've talked about the challenges of culture building remotely. We've talked about the challenges of conditioning remotely. We've talked about the challenges of recruiting remotely. Now let's talk about the big one. How are you managing scheduling when you have no idea when you're going to be able to play and when the other schools have no idea when they're going to play? And uh, it's got to be just driving you crazy to have to not know when you can when you can play and when you can start. It is. It's um, the, I think actually our players are hand, handling it well because it, with our recruiting process, with our current guys, they they, they want to know, hey, what date should I be flying back? Or current, you know, guys right now coming over to the States, they have to go meet at an embassy. They have to get their I-20s. Sure. Um, there's a lot of unknowns. And I think the biggest way to – best way to communicate this with the players is you got to control what you can control. Mm-hmm. And, and right now um, – I have a lot of different scenarios uh, for the schedule, but I think one of the biggest parts is optimizing a regionalized schedule. And and at, with us, there's eight Division ones in Florida, and then uh, there's basically three out of state that are within about five hours from us. And right. so as long as we have the, all those teams on the schedule, we – we make that schedule when the NCAA comes down and says, Hey, this is going to be their first day of competition. And we just go from there. And I think that's the best way to handle it because you can, again, you can only control what you can control and you'll, you'll go mad trying to give yourself yeah. a, a 10 different sit scenarios and situations. So, um, it's definitely been difficult, but, um, you know, I think at the end of the day, we, we just should be really thankful and grateful. Hey, if we can have a really competitive fall and a season, that's what we want to strive to do. And we just want to be the best versions of ourselves in the fall and make sure we're ready for it. So, so I'm sure you're communicating regularly with the, your coaching colleagues in the A-Sun, but also coaching colleagues in the state. How are, how are those conversations? I mean, 
everybody basically putting aside whatever issues there may be just to try to make the best of what they can? It, it, exactly. That, that it's, a, it's a really good way to put it, actually, because it, it's been I, – I think it's been really important to have those relationships where you can call their coaches and you know what they're going through. They know You know what their student-athletes are going through. And you see a lot of coaches that are more – they're just they're just happy if we can have somewhat of a successful fall, right? And um, I, I think that should be the message really everywhere, you know, with programs. And then just be understanding, you know. Usually in the coaching world, when for example a year or two uh, ago it would have been, oh, you're going to cancel this game on us, like uh, that, you know, that that's that's not good, that's not ethical, or you know, mm-hmm. something like that. Now it's hey, we we understand. You know, right. I got a call the other day from a coach and I just said, Hey, that's no big deal. I understand that you can't come down here. Let's, let's do something for 21 or 22. Right. And, and, and for me, I think that's a, that's a really, it's a really neat sort of dynamic because it, it brings you a little bit closer with some of the other coaches because we're all going through it together. And I think you have to have that united front uh, to really persevere through it as well. Now you mentioned the number of Division One programs in the state and within close driving distance. There's also some really good Division Two programs in this state. Definitely. Uh, um, is, that, is that a factor in the schedule as well? It, it does. I think when we definitely hear that we're able to play a Division Two opponent uh, from our end, uh, we've been kind of in talks with that because we have a school like Embry-Riddle right down the road, 20 minutes away, Flagler, Rollins. I mean, the Sunshine State is perennially the best Division II conference in the country right. for in, in our sport. So uh, I think it's, a, it's, it's really important that we have good relationships with those schools because they're going to be facing the same Absolutely. sort of problems we are. And uh, to me, it's, again, that sort of united front of saying, all right, how do we problem solve this together? And, and from what I've seen and when I've talked to some of those Division II coaches, you know, they're all for it, which, which is great. You know, it's good to see everybody – get together on that issue. So what are some of the things that motivate you every day? I, I think for me, the, just that competitive drive. I, one thing for me is I really want to prove that we can have a winning program here at Stetson. And I, I don't mean just a one loss record. Right. Uh, I mean, how do we compete in the classroom? How do we compete and serve in our community? How do we compete in, you know, just small little details of making sure that we're getting better as individuals in our program, but also those small details add up to making our team better. And, and I think for me, one of the best feelings you can get is when you see you bring in a freshman student athlete and they're graduating as a senior in that just maturing process. That really drives me every day because you really, you're developing a student athlete for me when I, when I tell guys is, I want to make you, first of all, a better player, of course, but I want to make you a better student athlete. I want you to become the best version of yourself. And I also want to make sure that you become the best employee you can possibly be, best father and the best husband. And if I can help you achieve those things, then I feel like we're, I'm doing my job as an educator and as a coach, because that's the type of program, you know, we want to run here. And I think, for me to see alumni even recently as an assistant coach, just getting a really good job or, you know, they're doing well personally. 
uh, it's it's a it's a really neat raw emotion feeling where you're just like I'm just so happy for them because you made an impact in their life. And I think that's the type of, again, that's the type of program we want to run. And I'm looking forward to just having a a consistent foundation here and build off of it. When your travels take you to DeLand, count on Hampton Inn and Suites DeLand to deliver value, consistency, and thoughtful service. Ask about our new premium rooms. Book your next day in advance and save up to 15% off the already great rates. So are soccer players superstitious and do you have any superstitions? Uh, I, it's so funny you bring that up because almost every goalkeeper, like especially goalkeepers are that uh, we definitely have some guys on the team. Um, I, I'm not superstitious to be honest with you. And I made a point not to be it, it, when I was younger, I literally was, and I really had to mentally like take myself out of it because I think sometimes you can go crazy. Uh, for me, I'm a big person on preparation. And I think if you prepare and you statistically just do the best you possibly can every time, you're going to put be put in position to succeed. Right. You might have some obstacles, no or you question. might have a day where you don't do that well. But if you consistently do it on a daily basis and you have good habits, it's going to come it will come and you're going to have an opportunity. And, 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 you know, that, that's my personal view, but we definitely have some guys who have some, some funny uh, superstitions. Like uh, I think uh, when I was a goalkeeper, I mean, we, we had another goalkeeper where I played, I would like, he'd like to talk to both posts before the game, you know, <laughs> he, he would talk to both posts. So you, you got some really weird ones uh, in soccer, especially so definitely some pregame rituals and stuff like that. And, and I'm totally understanding about it, but uh it, soccer has some pretty unique ones. So, That's, well, you know, you're you're a goalkeeper. You're kind of there by yourself a lot of the time. So, <laughs> yeah, exactly. Exactly. You, you're, you, you know, I think the average soccer player is running like seven miles a game. I'm, I'm sure the goalkeeper has to be like point one or something. <laughs> you know, it's a lot different position. No doubt. So, no doubt. So, what are you reading right now? Who are some of your favorite authors? Um, entrepreneurial leadership. Um, I'm reading, so as a team, we're reading the book Grit by Angela Duckworth. It's one of my favorites. Um, I'm, I'm a big proponent of reading. So how we did it with our team was if you enjoy reading books, articles, I gave them a book. If you're more of a video documentary guy and a lot of our freshmen, they haven't totally matured yet, um, in terms of reading a lot. Uh, so we're, they're actually watching the first two episodes this week of the last dance, the Michael, the big Michael Michael Jordan Jordan, documentary that just finished. And, um, some of them already watched it, but I've, I've challenged them to say, I want you to go back and watch it because we're, we're not focusing on the leadership aspect right now with it or the, just the enjoyment of it. We're focusing on how he persevered and his grit and his mental toughness. And so, uh, that, that's a, that's a big part. I think for our program, a lot of young student athletes when they get into college, because it's a really tough transition for a lot of student athletes. And I really want to try to educate guys before they get here on some of the problems that they might face. And so that that's, to me, that's big, but, um, yeah, casually, I really enjoy reading and that, that, I guess I'm reading grit, educational, uh, entrepreneurial leadership. Sorry. And I just finished all in as well, which is like a tech sort of startup book about, uh, culture and 
So uh, I, I know it sounds kind of crazy, but yeah, I'm reading about three books right now. <laughs> no, it's not, actually not unusual for coaches, especially, you know, high intensity uh, coaches who, who they devour books, especially on leadership and culture. So it's not a surprise at all. Yeah. Away, away from reading, what kind of things uh, during this time have you been binge watching on? What, what do you enjoy or watch? I uh, know. I, I, I love the documentary on, on Jordan. I thought it was really good. Um, I like the discussion about it too. I think it brings up like uh, really good debates uh, about Michael Jordan, just about comparing him to some of the, the, you know, the current guys as well playing. I, from a enjoyment standpoint, I've been watching Ozarks on Netflix. Some- I've probably been watching too much Netflix so you know what I've done is I've caught myself where I'm saying I'm watching Netflix, but then I got to finish my night out reading. So um, I'm watching The Office because I watched The Office a little bit, not probably not in order. And and so right now I'm I'm watching The Office, and um, I'm a I'm a big fan of Steve Carell, so I, I'm enjoying that one too. But that that's about it, honestly. Um, trying to read a lot, and uh, one of my big hobbies is is traveling, and so that's been kind of tough with the uh, pandemic because I get pretty antsy if I'm not on the go. Right. And uh, you know, I really enjoy traveling, which obviously makes my life easier when I'm out recruiting. Because sure. uh, especially for uh, with us internationally, it's something I just really enjoy just seeing other cultures, learning about them, and you know, discussing stuff. Uh, just different current events and, and things like that with people of different cultures. So, uh, let's go through a couple of quick hitting things that just to show your personality. What kind of what's your favorite breakfast cereal? Uh, Honey Nut Cheerios. Who's your favorite cartoon character? Bugs Bunny. Favorite superhero? Spider Man. If you could have a superpower, what would it be and why? reading someone's mind. <laughs> okay. So I could better communicate or understand. I could better understand what they're going through so I could communicate better. <laughs> there you go. What's your guilty pleasure? I like hot, a hot fudge sundae with chocolate ice cream. That, Nothing wrong with that. Yeah. A lot, lot of chocolate. Really like chocolate. A lot, lot of chocolate. You say you like to travel. Where would you want to go for a dream vacation? I would say currently I want to go to New Zealand and Australia. That I, I've never been, and I, I'd love to go both those places. But if I can use both of them, <laughs> yeah, that's, that's, they're they're together. Um, what, who was your celebrity crush on when you were twelve? Jennifer Aniston. You mentioned, now you mentioned Steve Carell and Jennifer Aniston, and I just finished watching the morning show on uh, on <laughs> Apple TV. It's a great show. Yeah. Yeah. I, that's awesome. That's it's funny. You can tell, at least I'm consistent with it, <laughs> no question. but I mean, uh, I love Steve Carell. I just love that type of humor. Um, a big fan. And Jennifer Aniston was like, when I was growing up, when I was younger, I have, I have two sisters that are, uh, four years and six years older than me. So just naturally that was like Jennifer Aniston was in friends. She was in just so many movies back then that I grew up watching her and I was just, I, you know, I thought she was, she was the best. So if you go watch that show, it's not a comedy It is serious business. I know. I know uh, you're exactly right. So who was your first concert? When, where did you go to your first concert? First concert was Kenny Chesney concert in 
Fredericksburg, Virginia. Uh, that's like the closest they do these like kind of Sunday concert. And he, uh, believe it or not, I wasn't really that big of a Kenny Chesney fan. Um, I, I like like nineties country a little bit more, but, uh, I, even though I know he falls in that category, but I'll tell you what, he's, he's great live. He uh -huh. he's awesome. So I loved it. And honestly, since then I started going to more country concerts because of him. So, so you're a country music fan mostly. Yeah. Yeah. Big fan. I like, uh, you know, contemporary, I like, like Eric church, um, a lot, Chris Stapleton, but I like a lot of the nineties country too. Um, like, like who? I like, I like Tim McGraw's old stuff. I like George Strait, um, uh, Joe Diffie, uh, I could, I could probably name it. I could Those name are all it. Good um, ones. I, 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 yeah, I just, you know, I, I don't know what it is. I just like it a lot more than probably the modern day pop country. I'm, I'm not into that as much. So, but you know, I was a big, uh, growing up near Charlottesville, Virginia, I liked uh, Dave Matthews a lot too. Okay. So um, really enjoyed his music. I think part of the reason I really liked him too was just how he sort of goes about his life. Um, we had an assistant coach that went to high school with them when I was uh, playing club. And he just said, he's like, you know, Dave Matthews, one of the best people I've ever met. And he would do charity con concerts and he would basically, you know, donate all of it back to the local economy, wow. do everything. And so to me, I just, I love hearing stories like that. Eric Church, I know is the same way. So it just makes me like those guys more. <laughs> so what's your go-to karaoke song? Um, you know, Bon Jovi, Living on a Prayer. <laughs> it's all the country and you go to Bon Jovi. I, I know. I, I, I'm a little all over the place, Ricky, you know, I, but, but when you talk about karaoke, you gotta, you gotta go a little bit different, you know? Yeah, I mean, I yeah. could go country on that one, but Bon Jovi just, I mean, that, I feel like that's just karaoke action right there. There you go. There you go. So uh, what's your favorite place to go to dinner? In Deland? Anywhere. Anywhere. Um, I would say back, back, in Fredericksburg when I was in college uh we had a place Castiglia's that we just loved going to Italian I, I eat like anything I think when you're the youngest of four um you kind of got to take what you get so for me I enjoy like all food but uh I'll tell you what I I'm a big fan of uh, I was talking to one of our other coaches yesterday at uh, about this at Stetson and you kind of have those those routine places you go to and mm -hmm. um here in Delanda, I'm a big Porky's fan too. I, a lot of people and are. Brian, I love Brian's barbecue too, but Porky's as well. It's one of my one one of my spots I like going to. So I like going to Porky's because it's decorated with my alma mater. So I uh, yeah, there you go. I enjoy going in there. So, 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 so you would go with. Uh, I, I think you and I spoke about this before. I, I mean, I'm a big Dreamland, the original I, Dreamland. I, I like Dreamland, but Dreamland is not my favorite. Got it. My, got my, it. my favorite is in Hattiesburg, Mississippi. It's called Letha's Barbecue. I got to try that it, one out. It is the bomb. Yeah. It's the best. Yeah. I, I got to try it out. I, you know, I, 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 I'm a fan of that original Dreamland. I, I went there. I loved it. I think I got like a full rack of ribs, to be honest. Yeah. 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 When I was at, I worked at Southern Miss and when Conference USA was first formed and we all joked around the league that it was the best rib league in the world because of Memphis, <laughs> and, Memphis and Louisville and Hattiesburg and Tampa. And it was, you know, it was great, great yeah. barbecue everywhere you went. Yeah. Oh, that's awesome. That's great. <laughs> so everybody's on social media. Are you uh, Instagram, TikTok? What are, what are you, what are you on? I, 
I've gotten a lot of, of people making fun of me as I have Facebook and I never use it. And I do not have Twitter. I do not have Instagram and I need to get on it. And so I, now one of the biggest uh, pushes we've made as a program since I got hired was social media. Mm -hmm. And I think it's just a great way for us as a program to just reach out more to, you know, from a recruiting standpoint, but also a community standpoint. Absolutely. And um, we've made a huge push. I mean, with the uh, assistants who basically said, hey, every month I want to see where we are on each of these sites. How, how are we improving? What are people watching? What do they like? What, you know, where are we getting a lot of comments from? I think what I've noticed the big part in just two months is the alumni are really becoming engaged with it too. And I've gotten really positive feedback from them. So I probably need to do a personally, I probably need to do a way better job at it. Uh, but as a, a, for our program's sake, I'm lucky I got assistants that are uh, really good with it because that, that's something I got to work on. <laughs> Love Stetson Athletics? Then join the team behind the team. Donate to the Hatter Athletic Fund to help keep your Stetson Hatters at the top of elite competition. If you're interested in donating to provide opportunities for Stetson student-athletes, log on to GoHatters.com and click on the Hatter Athletic Fund link in the Support the Hatters tab. So as we wrap this up, let's talk a little bit about what this fall is going to look like. What are your expectations? What are your hopes for your first season as head coach at Stetson? We want to compete to win the conference regular season. We want to go to NCAAs. And once you get into NCAAs, you know, I know firsthand from when I was an assistant at Mercer, uh, we want to, anything can happen. And um, I, I believe we have the talent to do it, but I just think we need a little bit of stability and having a really strong, close-knit culture of, and, and just making sure our guys have a clear vision of, of of how to implement and then execute that sort of strategy. And I feel like we're in the right steps right now. So part of it is, Hey, we got to bring in some really good recruits. And part of it is our current guys have to step up. And uh, that, that to me would be a really successful fall. How do we achieve one of those goals? And I think the alumni, the community would like to see that as well. We haven't been to NCAA since 09. And um, one of the things I, I speak with alumni about is, you know, what's something we can do to, to make you feel pride in the program. And I think winning heals a lot, but sure. I, I'm, I've been really impressed with how we're doing academically, how we're doing community service. I think we can keep getting better at it, but right now we really want to focus on how do we win an A-Sun championship or how do we win the regular season and the conference championship? And right now that's, a, that's our goal. Well, I know I wish you nothing but the best and hope for lots of championship rings and trips to NCAA regionals. Uh, in the in the very near future. We're looking forward to it. And thank you for joining us today on Hatter Chatter, the podcast. This has been great. Thanks a lot, Ricky. I appreciate it. All right, Emmett. Thanks a lot. We'll, yep. uh, we'll uh, have another edition of Hatter Chatter, the podcast, coming up very soon. But thanks to Emmett and thanks to all of our sponsors. And thank you for listening. Go Hatters. And that'll do it for this edition of Hatter Chatter, the podcast presented by Insight Credit Union. I'd like to thank all of our corporate sponsors who make it possible for Stetson University and Stetson Athletics to provide our more than 400 student athletes a quality experience on the courts and fields of competition in the same way the faculty provides all Stetson University students a quality educational experience. Those sponsors 
include, of course, our presenting sponsor, Insight Credit Union. Other sponsors include Florida Public Utilities. Visit askforgas.com for more information. GEICO Insurance. 15 minutes could save you 15% or more on car insurance. Visit geico.com to find out how. Advent Health. Visit westvolusia.com. Old Florida, new vibe. Coca-Cola Beverages of Florida. The Alliance Community for Retirement Living. Bud Light, the official beer of Stetson University. Florida Orthopedic Associates. If it hurts, see them first. Hampton Inn and Suites of Deland. Imageworks, your one-stop corporate identity shop. Main Street Community Bank, familiar name, familiar faces, familiar bank. Morningstar Storage, the space you need, the way you want it. Orlando Sanford International Airport. Visit flysfb.com. Simpler, faster, better. Total Comfort, the name you can trust. And Weston Lake Mary Orlando North, for a better you. Thank you to all of our corporate sponsors.